0: All right. Hey, guys. Welcome, welcome to Sunday. It is uh, good to see you beautiful faces here as we gather to read, and to listen, to hear God's Word. Uh, we are in a series, almost finishing up our series, on uh, Rooted in Christ, a year of Christ-centered growth. Right? It's a, It's a series that was developed with this intention in mind. It's this understanding that There are many Christians who profess belief in Christ and yet at the same time they live live their lives contrary to the very things that they profess. You have these words that you say from your lips and yet the life you live is contrary to those words. So at best, a lot of believers come off as inconsistent in their life, in their glory, in their accolades to Christ, Right? And at worst, they come off hypocritical. Now, what is the reason for this? It could be that they're not believers. It could be that they're just going for the show. It could be that there's, there's a sin in their life that seared them so deeply that they have not repented from it. But whatever the reason, Scripture gives us these disciplines to do something for us, these spiritual disciplines that Scripture teaches us to practice. It's meant to take the truth of God's word, the truth of who he is, and to dive it so deep into the heart that it be- begins this bridge where profession becomes character, where belief becomes action, where, we, where, where thoughts becomes reality, right? And so my hope and my prayer that as we've been going through this series is that you begin to take on the mantle. You begin to recognize that there is a growth that needs to be happening in your life. You need to begin to recognize that there is something that God is calling you to not just sit and think through, but actually begin to engage him, these disciplines of meeting him, of walking with him, worshiping him, ascribing ultimate value with your mind, with your heart, with your will, in every aspect of your life to God, building a community, a community within this church body, a community outside for the glory of God's name, a community that is, that is not safe, a community that's open, a community that brings people in, discipleship, spending your life discipling, carrying out God's word. These are the disciplines that if we take the truth of it, dive it deep into our hearts, what results from that is a change of character and a change of life. All right. So we've covered worship, we've covered community, we covered discipleship. Today we're going to hit the first of the two messages that will end this series. It's on mission. On mission. Now, if you guys, uh for the things up there, if you guys are ever like thinking about hey, you know, I want to be able to follow along because sometimes PT he goes and I can't follow him. Uh sermon notes right there. You guys go we are true slash so Sunday. Okay. Follow along. We developed this section specifically for you so that Not only can you follow on, but that you have something to kind of reflect upon during your week as you listen to the uh, the message, as you hear the words, as you pray, as you apply, and actually step out and do something with it. So, that's the that's the thing. So please use that as we follow along. But here today, we're talking about mission. What is the mission of the church? What is the mission of the church, and what gives the church the power to carry out this mission? What is the mission of the church, and what gives the church the power to carry out this mission? Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Acts is a, it's a book. It's a, almost like a documentary, a biography written by the author Luke. He's also the author of the gospel, right? The fourth gospel, the third gospel, Luke. And this is, this is Luke, the physician, Luke, the evangelist. Luke was this guy who meticulously interviewed, met with people, and documented what he found about Jesus Christ. He walked in the missionary work of Paul, walked alongside him as he documented what was happening in the work of Christ. Luke was the author of this book, and in verse uh, 1 through 8, what we see is that Luke is writing to a dude named Theophilus, a patron, a rich dude, right, who for some reason, for some, whatever reason it is, he's asking Luke, hey, I want, I want to know more about this Jesus. I want to know about what this teaching is or what this is all about. Can you share with me? And so he writes the gospel of Luke, and now he writes Acts. This is where he goes, and he says, listen, uh, listen now for the word of God. Luke, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. In my former book, Theophilus, I write wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your word. I ask, O oh God, that today as we share this message that you would soften our hearts and, Lord, bring conviction to our spirit. Holy Spirit, would you come and lay heavy upon our lives, that, God, we will sense the weight, the weight of glory, the weight of your call upon our lives, the weight, O oh Lord, of the mission that we are bound to, be the, to do. O oh Lord, I pray upon these brothers and sisters here that we would Carry out the work that you have called us. I pray, Father, for myself and worthy as I am to preach your word. Grant me your spirit and your strength today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the mission of the church? Why are you here? What is this whole pew and things that we're supposed to be doing? What is this whole process about? What is this? What is the mission of the church? If you look at verse 8, this is what Jesus said. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There is something about this mission that is not just localized to your immediate surrounding. It's not just localized to your city, not just localized to your state, not just localized to your country. It is a mission that is to be taken to the ends of the earth, which means that it's not just for specific people. It is for all people, Right? And this mission that God has ordained for us to do, it is to bring worship, his worship to the ends of the earth. John Piper, famous pastor or pastor, he says, mission exists because worship does not. Worship as we've talked about, it's, it's the ascribing of ultimate value. That God, you are everything. You are center. You are my heart. You are my will. You are my purpose. You are my future. You are my plan. You are everything to me. My mind, my heart, my will dedicated unto you. Worship. Worship does not exist in all places. And therefore, the mission of God's people, the mission of the church, is to bring that worship. To wherever we go see here's the thing the sin of our hearts is that we ascribe ultimate value to evil devices don't we the sin of our hearts is that we 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 have ascribed ultimate value to the evil devices because we fear purposelessness we fear hopelessness we fear emptiness we fear the lack of security and so what do we do we ascribe our ultimate value to our money We ascribe ultimate values to our relationship. We ascribe ultimate values to our family. We ascribe ultimate values to power, to reputation. We turn to these evil devices to give us a sense of some sort of hope to the future. We give those things all of our emotions, all of our thoughts, and we live for them. Never realizing that the only thing that those things have done is force us to die in order to keep them. Right, Let me tell you guys, we all worship something. If you think that you are free of worship, you are wrong. All of our hearts, our hearts were created to worship. But because we rebel against God, we seek to worship other things besides God. We seek to think that we are autonomous, that we can do this on our own, that we are individualistic in this way, and therefore we do not need God. But we are geared towards, we are drawn towards worship. We turn towards, for example, a great easy example is the worship of money. Money is not evil. The Bible says the love of money is evil. When you put your worth, your value, your security, your future, thinking that this is what makes me who I am, this is what gives me an identity, this is what gives me value, that becomes worship. Because why? Why do we worship money? Security? I'm, not, I'm worried about my future. I wanna have hope, I wanna have purpose, power, I wanna have direction. So we give our worship to these evil devices that does what? That ruins our hearts. That seeks whatever, to do whatever it takes to keep us here by killing us day in and day out. We're like hamsters running on a wheel in this cycle over and over, and it's never enough. Every single device we turn to, relationship, power, sex, money, reputation, personality, whatever it is that we turn to for our ultimate worth, ultimate value, those things demand that we die in order to keep it. Only, only the worship of God, the worship of Jesus, tells us what? I have died to keep you. And our mission as the church is to be witness of Jesus, the one and true God who did not force us to die to keep him, but rather died to keep us. We are called to be witnesses of this Jesus so that hearts can turn from darkness to light. And so you have to ask yourself a very poignant question, church. Is there a desire in your heart to be a witness? Because the mark of a believer, the mark of those who follow Jesus, is that there's a fire that burns to witness his name to the ends of the earth. Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Is there a heart a fire, a burning, a desire, a natural inclination to be a witness to Jesus. Because if you are not seeking that, if your life is not marked by this very mission, there could be two reasons. One, your heart has been seared by sin. Whatever it is that you've given your heart to it is seared so deeply by sin that you have numbed to the purpose and the reasons of God. Or you do not know God at all. And what you go through is maybe just an act, a formality, a face, a mask that you put on. You give God lip service, but your heart is so far from him. All right? Some of you guys, you may be sitting there. So if, this, if that's the purpose of the church, if that's what we exist for, it is to be the witness of Jesus to the ends of the earth. If that's our purpose. Some of you guys may say, but PT, I, I, I do want that. I do, want, I, I do have that heart. I do want to be a witness. I have a hunger for it. I desire it, but I just don't know how. See, it's a matter between want and how. If it's a a how, listen, I'll show you in a second. But if it's a want, I don't want to. Then it's a matter of your heart. That's something you need to have a really good check about. Because if you're here and you're telling me you're a believer, and yet there is no desire in your heart to witness about the one person that can save lives, the one person that can take people out from darkness to light, the one person who has died to keep them rather than forcing them to die to keep him, then there's something terribly wrong. It's almost morally wrong that if you believe in this Jesus and yet not be a witness for him, but if you want to, but if there is a want, there's a hunger, all you have to do is ask. Help me, Lord. Let me tell you a story. Let me, let me tell you. If my, my, I, I, and I shared this story yesterday with the men's group. My son, Seth, he'll come to me. He says, Daddy, this is hard. I can't do this. Regrouping four digits so difficult. I can't subtract up. It's like, you're only second grade, bro. You don't have to do all that. You just work on two. No, Daddy, I got to do four. I want to. Right? So are you, all right, man, like, can you help me? What's my response? Nah, good luck. Do it on your own, right? Everyone else did. No, of course not. A good father would say, all right, sit down. Let me help you, right? And I'll help, and you will be crying because he doesn't get it. And i say, hey, it's all right. Just keep going, man. Eventually, you're going to get it. You just got to keep trying. I'm here. I'm going to walk by you. We're going to move this together. Okay, daddy. Okay, daddy. It, takes, it usually takes him about a day to get it, right? But he does. And do you think in the same way that if you in your heart right now in this place say, God, I want to be a witness to you. I have a heart for it. I have a desire for it. I just don't know how. Can you help me? Do you think your God will be like, nah, good luck. You're on your own. No, of course not. He's going to say, come closer. Let me share with you. Let me teach you. Let me show you. This is what he says. What is the mission of the church? It is to bring the worship of God to the ends of the earth. That is your mission. That is the center of our existence. That is the reason for why we are still here. And where does the church get the power to do this mission? Look at verse 1 to 2. How do we do this? God, I want to. Teach me. Show me. Verse 1 to 2. Look at Theophilus. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen. Such, what a great summary. But here's Theophilus. Theophilus was searching for an answer. He was searching for something. is a rich patron. We don't know much about him, but we know that he was searching for something. And every Maybe he was rich. Money didn't, money didn't satisfy the way he thought it would satisfy. Maybe he had all the material blessing, and the houses, the mansions, the villas did not satisfy as much as he thought it would satisfy. Maybe he had the wife and the side women, the concubines and the children, and he thought that that would be good enough. But money, that itself did not satisfy as much as he thought. And he was wanting. There was something missing. He was hungry for it. And he's looking for different philosophies, different teachings, different things. Knowledge, different concepts, and he hears Luke in the squares evangelizing and talking about this Jesus. And he calls Luke over and he said, hey, tell me about this Jesus. Tell me about this teaching. Tell me about this information. Tell me more. So Luke said, let me write it down for you. Let me tell you about who Jesus is, what he did, and what he taught. Let me lay this down before you because Luke would say, I'm going to lay down the facts. I'm going to lay down the truth. Not a concept, not an idea, not some sort of wishy-washy thing that I came up, not some a philosophy that I'm going to make up, not some sort of concept or moral teaching. I'm going to lay down the facts of who Jesus is to you. Theophilus, don't start Christianity the way you start with everything else. Don't try to get into a concept. Don't try to answer a question. If people ask you, why do you believe in Christ? If your answer is because he makes me feel good. Because it makes me feel fulfilled. Because it feels relevant. That is the wrong answer. That is the wrong place to start. Why do you believe in Christianity? Because of Jesus. Because of the facts of who he is and what he did. And that's what Luke was doing. Luke was saying, I'm gonna give you the facts, the truth. Not some made-up story. Not some information. I'm going to lay down the interviews. I'm going to call them out by name. I'm going to teach you what he taught. I'm going to let you decide about this Jesus. I'm going to show you what he did. What was it? Look at verse 3. This is, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. If you're out there and he says, I want to to know how. I want to be a witness. I have a a, a hunger in my heart. I have a stirring. I have an affection. I just don't know how. I want to try. Can you help me? Luke says, listen in. Let me tell you, the first thing, the first thing you got to do is you got to start with Jesus Christ and his resurrection. You got to start with Jesus Christ and his resurrection. It was the cornerstone of the Christian faith. You see, when you begin about Christianity, don't get lost in the bunny trails of rabbit holes of did no one really put two two animals in a thing? What about predestination? What about that? First question you ask is, is Jesus who he says he is? Is Jesus who he says he is? Did he die and come back from the dead? Because if that is true, then everything else Everything else falls into place. You may not understand it, but if it is true, it makes all the difference in the world. And what was it? What was it about Jesus' death and resurrection? If Jesus, who he really says you, if he came back from the faith, you're not faced with an ideology here. You're not faced with a concept. You're faced with a truth. You're faced with a fact. If he came back from the dead, then you have a decision. Either to bow and worship or reject and walk away. What did he taught? What was it that, that he came to teach? He did this. What he, he came into the world born of a virgin. He was not like a man like any other man. The baby in the manger in Bethlehem was who? The eternal son of God. He worked miracles. He healed. He calmed the seas. He walked on water. He fed the, the multitudes. Why? Why? He was the eternal God, came to show you what? The life, the emptiness, the brokenness, the chaos, the death that you are facing. This is not how it was meant to be. I'm giving you a glimpse of how it would be, how it will be. I am the eternal God to come to show you that I'm here to restore. I am here to have authority over all of nature, over all of creation. I am the one who will conquer even death itself. I am God. Right? He set his face dead center to Jerusalem. And what did he do? He walked towards the cross, hung upon a tree by his own people. They beat him, they condemned him, they made him carry a cross, and there nailed him and he died. But death could not hold him, the grave could not keep him. Do you know this truth? Do you know this? And do you know why he did it? He did it because you could not. He did it because you could not do it. We are on mission to testify and to witness of this great God who paid a debt that he did not owe because we owe the debt that we could not pay. This is the witness that we are giving. This is a testimony that we are sharing. Right? Do you know this truth? Does it beat in the hollows of your There's Does it store your affection? When you speak, when you think about these things, if Jesus Christ did not die and come back from the dead, then everything we believe in is useless. There's plenty of great philosophies out there. There's plenty of great teachings out there. And Luke is saying, I'm not here to give you philosophy theophilus i'm not here to give you a teaching theophilus i'm not here to give you a concept i'm here to give you jesus jesus is what i have jesus is what i can offer and who is this jesus he is god eternal who has died for the sins of men do you realize that do you i know that sometimes the, the idea of sin is very hard to grasp because sometimes we still get into this, 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 this reflex reaction that I'm not as bad as somebody else. That my sin in comparison is not as bad. You're not comparing it to another person. You're comparing it to the perfect, almighty, living God. And sin is not about the action. Sin is about the one you sin against. It's the one in whom you committed against, right? I shared this so many times. If you, if you hit Enoch you upside the head, what's going to happen to you? He would cry, but then you'd be like, ha-ha, got you, right? You hit me upside the head, what will happen to you? At least one punch back, right? You hit an officer upside the head, what's going to happen to you? Handcuffs, right? You hit, you hit, you try to hit the President of the United States upside the head, what's going to happen to you? You're going to get sniped before you even get there, right? It's not about the, the act of the sin itself, but it's about the person whom you sin against. And that sin has kept you condemned. And there's no way you could have paid for it. The punishment of sin is death. That is it. And if you think, oh, God, but but I thought Jesus was love. He is love. But he's also what? Just. He is just. If you commit a crime in a court of law, it doesn't matter how much good deeds and how much community service you can attest to, the, the judge, being a good judge, will still have to what? Make you pay you will still have to pay for your crime. And if that happens even in a human court, what do you think will happen in the court of the almighty God? He is not, he cannot let you go. But here's the thing about God. He knows what? You cannot be free. But he is loving. And he loves you. So the only way, the only way itself is what? That he will become your sacrifice. He would do it in your place. He would die in your place. And his resurrection, his resurrection is the linchpin to tell you what I have conquered, the very things that you cannot conquer. That if you put your faith in me, life is promised to you even if death takes your last breath. Right? Do you know this truth, church? Do you preach... Of this resurrection, do you recognize this as fact, as truth, as the natural reality of your life? Do you know that? What gave the church the power to do this mission? The truth, the fact about Jesus. Here's the second thing. Look at verse three. He says what? He appeared to. He gave many convincing proof that he came back from the dead. Okay. Look how crazy. I mean, David thought about that. He gave many convincing proof. Jesus showed up. I think that itself should be proof that he came back from the dead. But apparently, disciples were like, um, did you really die? Yes. Did, did you really, though? Right? Like, prove it. Prove it. He said, look, at the, look at the holes in my hands. Look at the nails. Look. I came back how did you uh, roll that stone away? Because I came back. I'm God, yo. I came back from the dead. That's what happened, right? How many proofs do I have to give to you guys? But he had to. Here's the thing. Here's the next thing. But after he gave many proofs that he was alive, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So what is this first? He said, I want, want I want to be a witness. I want to be a witness. I don't know what to do, though. I want it. Help me. Luke says, come on in. Let me show you what Jesus did. One, it's the testimony of the resurrection. You want to start somewhere about being a witness? That's what you witness to. You start with that, the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says, if this does not happen, we are all foolish. We are the most pitied among people. The resurrection didn't happen. But here's the second thing. For 40 days, 40 days he spent with them doing what? Teaching them. Teaching them the truth about who he was and who he is, teaching them the things that they need to obey and follow, teaching them the precepts and the concepts, teaching them the very things that he has commanded them to do. He taught them for 40 days about the kingdom of God. 40 days he showed them all of his his he showed them that all of history is his story. In 40 days he gave them the commands and taught them to obey. 40 days he was with them eating and teaching. He was with them, eating and teaching. Not just the 12, but the people in the upper room. He was there. My question to you is, do you know the scripture like this? See, God blesses when you place yourself under this word. A lot of, you, a lot of us, I don't, I, don't, I don't know God's presence. I, I haven't feel it in a while. I don't, I, don't, I don't want testimony about who he is. When was the last time you placed yourself under this word, to the obedience of this word, to follow it, when was the last time you opened the word, it's promise, it's truth, and it says, I'm going to do it, regardless of how difficult, how crazy it may be, I'm going to follow it. This is your command, therefore, this is my desire. and I'll do it. When was the last time? God blesses those whom placed Himself under his word. Do you know that? Do you hunger for it? Have you actually opened it, let it speak to you? Do you obey it? Not just think about it. I just hope for it, but do you actually obey it, right? You know, I love this challenge that we're doing. It's not a challenge that is kind of like to get us to read the Bible, but it's a challenge to do it together, to unify as a body, to be collective in his heart, to read God's word and to obey God's word together. Let me tell you this funny story this past Wednesday, my wife, right? I thought I I read the Devo earlier than she did, right? Because usually I, I... you know, because of the challenge, sometimes we do it late at night. Sometimes we get, we, we get kind of, like, caught up. With, oh, shit, I got to do my Devo, right? This day, I did it early. I got up a little early. I, I did it, like, around 8-ish. But she was already, she went to work and something. I, I, thought, I, I thought I got it down. And the Devo on Wednesday was about opportunity. Right? It's about opportunity to share the testimony. Whatever opportunity shows up, you should share the testimony. And on Wednesday, oh, actually, she wasn't at work. On Wednesday, she was uh, with the kids. And so that Wednesday, after reading that, I remember I wrote in the I wrote it down. I said, "God, whatever opportunity you give, I'm gonna obey. I'm gonna do it. I'm not gonna sit around. If it shows up, somebody shows up. I'm gonna take it." Right? I said it so convincingly, so con- with so much conviction as I wrote that down that morning. Right? Few hours later, went to pick up Seth. Right? Seth was coming from school uh, to the park. We let him walk now. Right? Over there, because you know, a little bit independence. Right? He walked with his buddy Brentley. As Brenly never been there to the park before, so he walked with his buddy. Brenly, my wife, being my wife, very sweet, said so she walked over to he walked him in, and then she walked over to her, her his dad, who was parking right there, and she walked over. And, I was, I, and that day was, I didn't know how hot it was, so I, you know, I, I was bummed. I had a sweater on, I had sweats on in the in the house, cause it was kind of cool. So I, I walked out, and I was it was so hot, and I was like, but I really committed, so I just I was, let's just keep going. Right? I got in the car, I drove, and I remember coming out to the park, and I was walking towards the park, and I was like. Dude, it is hot. Uh, my plan was she wants to, uh, she's gonna let the kids play, right? I'm just gonna grab the backpack and I'm gonna go in the car and sit, you know? That was my plan. But my wife had a different plan. She went there and then she walked over to the car of her best uh, friend, Bentley, and she told her, hey, let him stay for a little bit and let him play. Come out, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm seeing her walk over there. I thought, you know, she was like, say, don't worry, I'll watch him or something. I thought that's what she was saying. That I was walking, I was like, hey, honey, I'm gonna grab the bag and sit in the car. She's like, no. I was like, what do you mean no? No. His dad's coming. Talk to him. I'm like, what? What? Unbeknownst to me, she woke up earlier and did the Devo first. And she was like, opportunity. And I was like, oh, shoot. Right? So he sat down. He came out. And I was like, hi, how you doing? I'm Tony. Seth's so dad and all. So-and-so. Bentley's dad. All right. And so we, I, I didn't know, I was like, do I, do I, do I hit it? Do I, do I, do I get into it? Do I just shoot the breeze? I was like, oh, how, you like the Super Bowl, man? Who are you who rooting for, <laughs> right? He just didn't talk about, you know? he we was just talking, you talking about life, his school, where he works, my work, my job. And then he said, you know, what do you do? I'm a pastor. He's like, oh, cool. like, hey, you, pr-. then I said, all right, all right, Lord, I hear, it. opportunity, obey, right? Give me a testimony. And I said, uh, yeah, you're a praying man. He said, oh, yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm, not I'm a Buddhist. I'm a Buddhist. And I said, "Oh, cool, man." I said, "What do you believe in?" said oh, you know, I believe in, um, I believe in life after. I believe that our karma, what we do, has an effect on our, on our on uh, our afterlife. We do enough good deeds, our ways are bad, we may be able to hit nirvana. If our bad deeds, our ways are bad, or our ways are good, then we go back to the cycle of uh, reincarnation. I said, "How do you know that to be true?" He said, "You know." I read it, you know, in scripture, don't you have scripture? I said, yeah, I have scripture too, I read that, it's true, right, but how, how do you know that your good deeds outweighs your bad? He says, uh, I hope, say, what well, if it doesn't, then I guess I'm being, being reincarnated, how do you know you're getting reincarnated though, have you met anyone that you know got reincarnated and came back? He says, no, how, so how do you know? I said, ah, I just, I just hope, right, he says, how about you, what do you, what do you think after, happens after you die? Oh, good question. Right? Let me tell you, you know? So what do you think I start at? Where do you think I start at? Jesus and the resurrection. said, so the only thing I have to offer you, brother, is not some concept or philosophy, not some nice words or phrase. All I have is that Jesus died and came back from the dead. He is the only one in all of history who has conquered the one thing that no man has ever conquered. Muhammad the Hartha Gautama, that's Buddha, never was able to conquer death, but Jesus Christ did. That's what I have. And this is what he says in his word: "I am the way, the truth, and the life." Right? Buddha tells us that we were supposed, to, in order to have life, we were supposed to exclude ourselves, no longer feel, don't be connected to the world, this chaos. Jesus says, "No, you are meant to live. You are meant to live, but you are meant, to, but the only way you can fully live. As if I am with you. Because everything that your heart yearns for is found in me. All the hope that you have ever wished for, it's found in me. All the desire that you have ever yearned for, it is found in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. And he looked at me and he said, so do you do this often? He says, yeah, it's my job, All right? I'm here to witness and be obedient to the Father. That's what he called me to do. My question to you is, do you know this word? Are you willing to place yourself under the obedience of the word? All right. How many of us have done this challenge so far? A lot of us, right? God has called us to be under the obedience of the word, not just to read it, but to do it. It's not well said, well thought, well planned, but well, well, Done. Well done. Here's the last thing. So what was it? Here you are. We're called as a church to be the witness of Jesus Christ, to bring worship to the ends of the earth. I want to. I want to. I struggle with it. But I want to. There's a desire. There's a hunger. There's a nature in me that's crying out for it. I don't know how. Come in. Let me whisper it to you. One, you start with the resurrection. Two, you start with the... you go into the obedience. You gotta obey. But here's the third thing that happened here. Look at verse uh, four, the five. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, you know that? I love that he was eating with them. While he was showing, I'm alive, guys. Look, I can eat. Right? Let me chill with you. Forty days he's preaching, but he's 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 having fellowship with them here. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when when you have received power, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you will be my witness. Right? You are the witness of the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You were called to obey his word and place yourself under the obedience of that word, but you do it when the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you. There's a real power in the lives of believers because the Bible tells us this, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that power, that spirit lives in you. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That same spirit that did that, he is there. They were witnesses with not just intellectual understanding. See, oftentimes we think about witnessing, we think about walking with our friends or uh, doing these things with just intellectual knowledge of this information. No. You have to have God's power. You think you can lead your soul without God's power working in you? You think you can disciple somebody? without God's power working in you? You think you can witness and see God without that power working in you? This is the spiritual power that's there. There was a power in the lives of the believers. It was the power when Peter stood up. If you ever read Acts chapter 2, I'm not trying to boast here, but I've read that, that, that sermon that Peter gave multiple times, and I cannot help but think that I can probably write a better sermon. Right? I know that sounds kind of sacrilege, but I can't help but think I can probably write a better one. And yet somehow, Peter stood up, spoke 30, 40 verses, right? maybe it took 10 minutes, 20 if he expressed it a little bit louder, right? And thousands came to worship God that day. The Bible says they were cut to the heart. Was it Peter? No. It was the power of God working through Peter. you get that? There's a power that's there. It was the power that gave the unlearned men of God words to say before the authorities in order to silence them. That same power works through you. So if you are going to be a witness, if you're going to be a witness to the name of Jesus Christ, you best come down to the fact that you know the resurrection is real in your heart that there is no doubt no question you you need to know that the resurrection is as true and as factual as that the sun will rise tomorrow you need to have that in your heart so deeply that it is, it is ingrained it is a natural um a natural call into your very being you better put yourself under the obedience of God's word and go and do it and here's the third thing you gotta call on the spirit's power you got you you gotta You got to pray until God's power come upon you to do the work that he's called you to do. There's real power here. Let me tell you a story, right? I remember I was in Hong Kong. Hong Kong, I was a college kid. I wasn't smart. I didn't have any, like, seminary degree at this time. There was nothing about me that would say, like, ooh, look at him, you know? I was just a kid. I was on mission with uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, Korean Campus Crusade for Christ. We went to Hong Kong, right? i didn't speak a lick of chinese i had a translator which is a college student he spoke english i said hey bro let's go out and witness at the mall he's all right it's cool let's go right we walked into the mall we we're looking around we didn't see and we saw these two young ladies standing there so I said, let's go and talk to them right so okay we went over we talked to them right and then one of the young girls was like i know these guys don't talk to them they're holding the yellow booklet right they're talking about talking about jesus it's just useless don't just let them go right but of course what did i do i said no 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 i'm from america I'm a little different, right? And I started sharing and start speaking English. And they're like, oh, yeah, they start speaking English with me. And a little bit, kept shooting the breeze for a while. Then finally I said, let's, uh, let me, I got we got to start sharing because this, this is not going to go anywhere. We're not going to share. So I, I'm talking to my translator. My translator is translating. I'm trying to hit it up with every single, like, nuance and every book that I've read, throwing these things at her. And she's just like, mm-hmm, uh-huh, no, no, right? And they were, I was, I was losing them, losing them left and right. And, you know, my translator was saying to me, like, hey, maybe we should go, man. I don't think, I don't think this is going to work. There's plenty of other. I said, no, we're going to keep talking, right? We're going to keep talking. I was just, I'm just so convinced. We're going to keep talking to these girls, right, until something happens. I was just saying, I was just, and I was like, you know, I'll jump back and forth. Sometimes I'll be, I'll be in the witness. I'll be sharing about Jesus. And I'll just, like, jump to, like, other things as I found them distracted. So I'll kind of bring something else up. And eventually, I was just praying in my heart. I said, like, God, you, this is your name, not mine, right? I don't want to look like an idiot, right, for you. Right? Do you want to send out idiots in this field? No. Lord, do something. Right? Do something. And this is when this is when it happened, man. This is when it happened. God spoke to my heart, loud as day. He says, just tell her don't hurt herself. So I looked at the translator. I said, hey, man, I need you to tell her something. He said, what? Tell her don't hurt herself. And he looked at me. He's like, why? I said, I don't know. Just do it. So he looked at her. He says, he told you. <laughs> Don't hurt yourself. And then she looked back and she said, why? And I was like, I don't know why you're hurting yourself, right? But God knows. And he's telling me, don't do it. And then it was kind of this awkward silence. Like, you know, like we're at the mall, but it felt like everything was quiet, right? And all of a sudden, one tear dropped, two tear dropped. And then she started bawling. He was like, what did you say, right? And I said, like, I don't know, what did you say, right? And then, And then her friend was like, What's wrong with you? Is everything okay? Like what's, and they was just crying and crying. And then she's like, I recently just broke up with my boyfriend. I've been wanting to kill myself. I've been cutting myself. How did you know? I said, I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I didn't know. God knows. I said, hey, I know you're losing love. Can I tell you about a love that does not end? She said, yeah. I know that you feel helpless. Can I tell you about a hope that endures? Yeah. Hey, I know that you have placed your whole life upon this dude that you think is going to give you satisfaction. Can I tell you about the one who can truly satisfy? She says, yes. Do you want him in your life? Yes. Then you have to give up everything you have. Are you willing? Yes. Let me pray for you. This is my buddy. He has a church. He'll give you his number. Come when he calls okay, there's power in the life of a believer. Do you know that? Like if you sit here and you're thinking, that's just crazy, that doesn't that happen, let me tell you that the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same God today. It's the same God who speaks today. and the same God who does his work today. The only difference is you've lost the courage to ask. You're so caught up in what's logical, what's easy, what you can control. And you forgot to take the step of faith because when you take the step of faith, the glory is God, not yours. And that's what he wants. He wants you to step into a place that you cannot control but just to obey and to trust and you will see the result after. Right? My son, always, midnight, I don't want to sleep, go to sleep why go to sleep it's good for you explain it no go to sleep explain why no go to sleep he doesn't what happens You don't know my son he sleeps right next to me my wife on the other side right i happen to be in the, the low sliver of bed right that faces the bedroom and so when he wakes up for school next day after having only a couple of hours of sleep what does he sound like he's a zombie total zombie right Right? Does he flip to her side to get off? No, 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 no. He rolled over me to get up. And then he doesn't just roll. He's not like, oh, daddy, I'm sorry. He's like, Nyeh! and he's like, you know, he's just like, he moves his body. He comes over and he's like, all yelling and screaming. He's like, dude, right? Why did I tell you to go to sleep? Because I get tired in the morning. Exactly. You're a crump, right? Why didn't you just trust me? Oh, no. Go brush your teeth, right? That's the kid's expression. But here's the thing about us. Here's the thing about us. God calls us to do. See, the result of that happens next day. But a lot of times, God calls us to go. And we say no. But our consequences don't see it until when? Much later on. And by that time, down the years, 20, 15, here's 15, 20 years down the line, when the consequences showed up for an action of disobedience, what happens? What happens? Now it's too late. I can't take that back. So much damage has done. When God says go, it means to go, to place yourself under this and to trust. If you step out in faith, there is power behind that. So what am I asking you guys to do? All right? You wonder why after all these years of falling after Jesus, you haven't seen change or that no change comes to you. You know why? Because when you are crying out to God, you're crying out to God for your agenda, not his agenda. Look at what what he says in verse 6, what they said. So they met together and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? No, dum-dum, I'm about to restore the whole entire world. And all you're worried about is your own nation and your people. I know you've been waiting. Here I am, and I'm telling you, it's the world, not just you. My agenda is the world. I'm not blessing your agenda. I'm not blessing your cries for your own personal gain. When you cry out for my mission, for the worship of my name to the ends of the earth, then you take your step of faith and I will show you what I can do through you. Why does the church exist? To bring the worship of God to the ends of the earth. And where does the church get the power to do this mission? The testimony of the, G, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The obedience of the word that he has given to us. And the power of the Holy Spirit that drives us. You guys get me? If you're going to do anything for the Lord, anything for the Lord, it starts there. If you want to be a testimony for God, it starts there. Cry out to God until he shows up. Cry out to God until he empowers you to step out and even just a whisper of the word can bring changes to people. I pray that you, my brothers and sisters as our church, that we will be a people that have not forgotten the mission of our God. That our agenda is his agenda and our purpose is his purpose. Let's pray.